Amen. Thanks, Mike. Uh, good morning, everybody. Good to, good to be with you. Just, just so in case you guys are terrified, you're like, we're going to go through the book of Psalms in a summer. That ain't happening. All right. So I know some of you guys sent me an email this week. Like, I know you love long series, and I don't know how you're going to. Did you mean to put uh, for next summer, like 2019, we're going to get through 2019? No, we're not. There's 150 chapters in Psalms, and Psalms is, I think, the third longest book in the scriptures. And so, no, we're not going to. Uh, we're going to. We're going to pick about eight to ten psalms uh, just over the next eight to ten weeks through the summer, and so we're going to just look at them and enjoy what God might have to say in those, so uh, not to scare you. I know some of you guys were about to leave the church and head somewhere else for the summer uh, until 2020, so uh, what I'd love to do uh, first, I, I always want to do this just for clarification, for help. Uh, it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to the dads. Uh, glad that you're with us, and, and I know being a father is not just tied to whether you have biological children. Uh, many of you are spiritual fathers to uh, young men uh, and women, which is uh, deeply encouraging to see that. But I always want to make sure, uh, regardless of these types of days, that we're tying ourselves to the right place. Um, uh, and in a room like this, I know many of us have different experiences, different upbringings. Uh, for some of us, Father's Day is just nothing but but painful memories, or maybe there's some bitterness that still resides in your heart. Uh, whether you had a wonderful uh, earthly father or a horrible earthly father, uh, maybe you grew up in a domineering household where you felt like you had to walk on eggshells everywhere, uh, and so even as you worship, it's hard for you to in some ways understand the father heart of God, I just want to always remind us that that's where we're tied. Um, even being a father is not ultimate. It's not our worth. It's not where our value is. It's not where we find our being and our existence. It's that we have a father who bought us as his kids and puts us in his family. And he pastors us and shepherds us in ways that no other father possibly ever could. Uh, so, so for some of us, it's just a constant untangling of just past experiences um, and, and needing to rightly not project your experiences onto him, but understand how he's revealed in the word, a lot of what we're going to talk about this morning. So, um, but those of you who are fathers, we also want to honor you and esteem you and remind you of the duty of, uh, we are the ones who establish the, the tone of the home, the temperature of the family. God's given us that responsibility. Um, and so that's a weighty one. So, just want to pray for the fathers briefly. Want to pray for you if you're in that one of those spaces where you're like, man, I just I don't even know how to really kind of uh, embrace Father's Day. It's a little weird. Uh, that's okay um, because we're not embracing Father's Day. We're embracing the Father of Father Heart of God, uh, who reigns in heaven and owns us as His kids. Uh, and that's what we're going to always embrace every day. So uh, let me pray for you. If, if you know one of these dads, you're next to them. You can lay your hand on them uh, as I pray for them. And then we'll uh, continue in the worship of the word. Father, thank you um, for structuring the family unit and the home. Thank you for giving us uh, wives and husbands. And we're thankful for the roles that um, many of the men in this room play. Lord, not just in uh, the, the homes that they oversee. Uh, Lord, uh, immediately, but also in the ways that men have uh, fathered and shepherded uh, spiritual sons and spiritual daughters. So, uh, God, we just pray that you'd help the men in the room, uh, whether we are dads or not, uh, to grow and desire and chase uh, being like Jesus Christ, uh, being strong men that stand on the truth, that love your word, uh, that are gentle uh, with those around us and those you've entrusted to us. I pray that the, the homes that we're over and among would be places that flourish with life because of our presence. Lord, protect us from the things within us, Lord. That's why you give every command in the scriptures because you know there's proneness in our, in our hearts and so we know we're, we're prone to be maybe a bit domineering or authoritarian or 
um, aggressive. And so would you continue to stir up gentleness and kindness and, and patience among the men of this church? Uh, God, that doesn't take away from zeal or take away from the desire to know you and love you and make you known. Um, and God, I just pray that you would uh, also encourage those that might feel really just discouraged this morning and uh, just beaten up, that they'd remember Christ standing for them in their place, that there's no sinking sand uh, for those of us who stand on Christ, no condemnation, that there's no uh, guilt, and that you would uh, use your gracious work in the gospel to uh, propel them uh, towards godliness and righteousness and being made more in the image of your son. I uh, thank you for the Psalms. Thank you for uh, Psalm 1 that we can read. Uh, instruct us. Give us help and sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, Psalm chapter 1, I figured if we're going to kick off Psalms of the summer, we're going to start in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is like the best psalm of all time. Now, I know you guys are like, Psalm 119, because it's awesome and long. Well, uh, that's a great one. Actually, all the psalms are good. We were, we were discussing a little bit recently with uh, some friends, just like, you know, what's your favorite psalm? And it was tough because it's like, they're all awesome. But Psalm 1 is really just a, a rock bed. It's really kind of, uh, honestly, is kind of the um, gatekeeper of the psalms. It basically summarizes psalms. I'd argue basically the entirety of the scriptures. I mean, this is just uh, shows us how um, God has set before us uh, the ways and and workings of, of what he's done. And as we hit Psalm 1, I mean, he's going to deal with, um, the, all of the Psalms deal with this issue of happiness, um, which is such a, a funny, fickle thing we've talked often about. But what's staggering about the Psalms is he's going to actually categorically say that you can fundamentally, consistently live as a happy person, which is just an amazing claim. Like, that's just crazy that he can even say that in the, in the Bible. And yet, God and in the, in the beauty of what he's done has actually put in us the ability to be a fundamentally, consistently happy person. And so if you're not that, good question is, why? Um, and the psalmist is going to answer why. He's going to answer with insane claims why that can actually be true for us. Now, um, cultures historically, if you kind of just do a, an overview and a sweep of um, historical culture, basically here's what they say. They say that um, human reason, the intellect, and, and, and you learning through your own experience and through your own culture, that through empirical data and other, and other kind of sources and things, um, that will eventually get us to the truth, and that will get us to the truth which will solve of our, all of our problems, which will eventually lead to a happy life. So my question is, how are we doing? <laughs> like, like, looking at the modern age, how are we doing with that? Like, are we growing in happiness? Now, now I, would, I would argue, even with the, the, tra the tra traumatic nature of um, even some of the suicides as of late, and th those are perpetually happening, of celebrities, the famous, those who are wealthy and rich, seems like if there's anyone who would be happy, anyone who would be at ease, it would be them. You're seeing all these things consistently and persistently come out in the human heart where I was really not happy, I was really depressed, I was really discouraged, I was just putting band-aids on, that really nothing seems to satisfy or quench that. Um, and so as history says this, as they say empirical investigation will solve it, the Bible has said from the beginning, this is what's so awesome, the Bible has said from the beginning that human happiness is not derived from empirical investigation, it's not um, basically derived from human reason, it's not um, derived from sociology alone or psychology alone or uh, biochemistry or all these different things, technolo technological advances, even though those things have made us more comfortable, we could argue that they've done benefits to us, they haven't solve the problem. Now here's what the Bible's going to say and here's what's so encouraging and a little bit crazy is the Bible says the issues that make you and I happy and unhappy are profoundly cosmic. Like profoundly divine and spiritual in nature and they've been unchanging for all of time. 
So why don't we look at what Psalm's going to tell us. He's going to launch out with just a crazy statement and basically say, hey, I've actually discovered how. Um, so any one of us would probably pay a million dollars to find that out. I always say you don't need a million dollars to find out amazing questions. Just open your Bible and you'll see the answers to what God will say to us about these things. Psalm 1, here's what the psalmist writes. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Um, so out of the gate, the psalmist says, hey, uh, blessed is this man or woman. That's just a universal statement here. Um, and, and happiness here, really blessed, blessed or blessed really throughout the psalms here means to be content, to be satisfied, to be happy. It means your, your pleasure is pushed onto something or onto someone. Okay, that's what, that's what this is showing here, that it's possible to be happy, to be blessed, to be content, to, be, to have this pleasure. And he says, happy is the man who does certain things. Now, the first, can, can we just stop and say the first beauty is that God has actually put this in us? Like he's actually designed you with the capability to be happy all the time, fundamentally and consistently. He's actually given us that, that it's not just something that's achievable, it's something that's possible. That's amazing. That's amazing. And he says this, the happy person, the satisfied person, doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, um, when we hear that word wicked, <laughs> a lot of us have this just insane picture in our mind. Okay, so when you think, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, you're thinking serial killer, you're thinking terrorist, you're thinking bin Laden, you're thinking, you know, someone that walks around foaming at the mouth with a demon t-shirt on. Like, that's not what he means when he says wicked here. When he says wicked, he just simply means someone who lives with no thought for God. That's all it is. The, the, the wicked person is someone who lives with no thought for God. God is not involved in any part of their life. He's not involved in my sexual intimacy. He's not involved in the ways that I steward my finances. He's not involved in the ways that I live my life. He's not involved in my pursuit of holiness. He's not involved in the areas of the sin that I want to put to death. He's not involved in my job. He's not involved in my parenting. He's not involved in, in anything. I don't live under him. I don't live for him. I live apart from him. That's what this, this person is. He's the person who lives his life with no thought for God. And the Bible's saying here, the writer's saying here, man, you'd be so much more blessed. You'd be so much more happy. You'd be so much more satisfied and content if you didn't constantly walk or listen to the advice and counsel of those who give no thought to God. Who those who live apart from God, don't want to live under God or with God or follow God. Um, you know, a lot of us are, are fighting this war, this battle, right, where we hear scripture on Sunday, we come in and it's like laser beam, right? Like you're, you're, you're soaking it in, you're being nourished, you're singing songs, you're taking the supper, you're praying with other saints, and then all of a sudden you, you hit Monday to Saturday, right? And you've got these just noises, you're bombarded with messages and culture, and you know, some of you guys just play video games, or you just turn on the tube, or you Netflix binge, or you do whatever that thing is for you, or go to the bar, go to the nightlife, or to escape, right? You come back on Saturday going, man, what happened? Like, like I, I, I hit back here on, I need a fix again on Sunday morning. And, and here as he's rolling this out, he's showing you that, man, the, this thing is not just something that's on Sunday for 40 minutes. It's going to be this thing that's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and repeat. That's what he's going to reveal here in just a moment. So he's saying, listen, this person doesn't walk in the constant counsel advice of those who give no thought for God. And he says, that would make you a lot more happy make you a lot more content. I looked up a stat. Average family in America. This is just average. I'm sure this is off. It's probably higher. Um, 
average, their TV's on their house eight hours and 40 minutes a day. Just average, average family. I'd argue um, Bergen County, that's probably like, uh, we're going to be in a 90 percentile. So we'd say 15 hours, right, a day. So here's what the psalmist is saying. If you'd actually stop, I know, I know this is crazy. You actually stop and think. If you'd actually be human and go, hmm, and not just go what the view says or what CNN says or what Fox News says or what the History Channel says. What, is, what does God say? Like, what does he say about these things? What does he speak about these things? What, what's the counsel? What's the advice? What's the woo of his heart towards me as his son and daughter? If we'd, if we'd stop and think about those things, he's saying we'd be a lot more happy, a lot more content, a lot more satisfied. And then he says, they also don't stand in the way of sinners. And this is just constant progression. So it starts out with you just listening. You're, you're listening to the advice of those who give no thought for God, whether it's through media, whether it's through, uh, I mean, we can't escape it. He's not saying you live apart from the world. He's just saying this is by nature what you submit to, what you give your life to. So you start out by listening, and then you, you move to standing in their way, not, not preventing them. It's not standing in the way of them. It's standing in their way. You're standing with them. You start participating in their thoughts and in their counsel. Well, yeah, God probably is like that. Oh, yeah, God probably is dumb for doing that. Oh, yeah, God probably isn't just for creating that and doing that and instructing that. Yeah, he probably is not, doesn't want me to be happy because how would he push this command on me? And all of a sudden, you start walking in the way of sinners. So you're not just hearing advice. You're now standing and participating and giving no thought to God in your decisions. All of a sudden, this is the shift that starts to happen. Um, now, the Bible isn't saying and will never say that, that, that you in anywhere uh, separate yourself from anyone who doesn't believe like you do. Like, that's terrible evangelism. That's, that's terrible Christianity. That's, that's nowhere in the scriptures. Great commission is not, hey, get your fence up and hide. It's, hey, get out there. You're sheep among wolves. Hey, be wise, be sly, be, be helpful, be courageous, be disciplined. But, but man, let's go make disciples, not of culture, but of Christ. Okay, so we don't, we're not syncretists, we become just like culture, we're not um, sectarians, we, we, we kind of remove ourselves totally as monks on an island somewhere. I mean, we're actively, thoughtfully engaging the life and mind around us with the gospel of Jesus Christ without shrieking back and without becoming just like them. And so here he's saying that you've got to be really careful that you don't fall into this pattern. The happy person, the blessed person, the content person is the one who doesn't listen to the advice and counsel of those who give no thought to God. They didn't, they didn't make this universe. God did. And then he says, or you don't move on to conforming to them. It's the idea that you're being discipled. And then he says or sits in the seat of scoffers. You, you can see this final progression. This is pretty profound here, right? So you start out just listening, just observing, maybe taking in the advice, then you start participating and walking in their way, and then eventually you're seated in everything they're saying, and you're now instructing everyone else to do it too. So it's not just this like, hey, I'm just listening. It's now, now I'm not only participating, it's now you're sitting and you're joining them in instructing others in the right ways of God and the wrong ways of God powerful. You're basically rooting yourself now. You're now sitting down and advising other people on the same thing. It's the idea that you're being discipled by the world as opposed to the word of God. Now, um, see that seat of scoffers. It's the idea where your heart has turned now to a place where you mock everything that God would stand for. So um, some of us, I know that we come into the service and, and, and we've had awesome email dialogue where you're like, yeah, there are times where I just like, I scoff at God says that about sexuality. God says that about how we are to live. God says that about joy and happiness. God says that, right? Just, you just scoff at it, right? 
Most of the world just scoffs at God's message and God's word, right? And God's ways. But what I love is, you know the stories I love? I love the stories of, of those of you like, man, I used to be a scoffer. We got a lot in this room and in the other service. I love it. Just, just to illuminate that. Like they said, man, I used to come and I used to just scoff at the truth, scoff at the things of Jesus, scoff at the things of God. Man, now I'm sitting going, I, I can't imagine myself in any other place. Like, like God is so good. God is so sweet to me. I can't believe God's saving. I can't believe he'd, he'd go after me as some rebel. I can't believe I thought it was all about morality and not worshiping this God. I was living my whole life on the rules of the faith and not being stunned by this creator of faith. I mean, it's, it's amazing to see the transformation there. Yet, there are many still who just scoff, who scoff at God and God's ways. And he says, be careful because you will not be happy. You will not be content. You will not be satisfied. Here's what the psalmist is showing us just in that first text. And this is, this is super important. Uh, the psalmist is showing us that happiness comes not by changing your environment, okay, which most of us would argue, it comes by changing your allegiances. In Jewish culture, where you sat was who you belonged to. This is Semitic language. So when he says you sit, really what's going on here is where do you sit? Where do you put your weight? Who do you belong to? What are your allegiances in your life? It's all about identity here. Uh, in Jewish culture, men sat with men, the young sat with the young, the rich sat with the rich, the poor sat with the poor. You associated yourself, you identified yourself by who you belonged with, who you sat with. So really the psalmist is arguing here. He's saying, you want to be happy? You got to find out who you belong to. You got to find out who you sit with. You got to find out where, where your worth is, what you, where you put all of your weight, you, what you belong to. What are the fundamental allegiances in your life? Who are you listening to the most? What's informing all of your thoughts? He's saying that's where you sit. And he's showing it's not until we turn away from the things that have me by the heart and entrust myself to the one who can satisfy my heart that you'll actually be happy. Until you sit in God's lap in the face of Jesus Christ will you actually be truly, undeniably happy. You can sit in all these other places and identify with all these other things, but then we've, 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 we've preached about identity over and over and over, but, but nothing, everything else will betray you in this life. Like Jesus will not. So he's saying, be careful where you sit because that will not bring contentment. That will not bring peace. And this is why he says in verse 2, he's going to show a contrast. But, okay, this is, this is instead of walking the way of sinners and, and sitting in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, this is the man who's happy, the man who's content, the man who's satisfied. His delight's in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, the trouble with this verse out of the gate is people think this is some guy that explicitly just goes around looking for the rules of God. His delights in just his rules, right? Oh, this is the guy who says, honesty is the best policy. Jump on that. That'll make me happy. Now, I'm not saying that's not true, but that's not at all what he's saying here. He's saying the happy person, the satisfied person he's talking about is one who puts his whole weight and worth on the whole message of the Bible as the rule of life. That's what he's saying. The rule of life as God has revealed it, right? Um, this is not that person. Instead, this is the guy who delights in the law of the Lord. Now, now, here's what's amazing. This is the conscience of the person who starts listening to the counsel advice of those who would give no thought for God. Then he starts walking in their way, participating in their actions. Then he starts sitting and advising everybody else to do the same thing. And this God is mean. This God is not good. This God is not merciful. This God is not forgiving. Uh, he is not uh, overall. He is not sovereign. He is not holy. You can do what you want. Everything 
escapes him. He won't really judge you in the end. Okay, he says you move from scoffing to delighting. All of a sudden, you're opening up this book going, I can't believe he's revealed himself. I can't believe he wants to know me. I can't believe that he offers forgiveness of sin. I can't believe that he offers fullness of joy. I can't believe that satisfaction can be attained. I can't believe that eternal life can be had. I can't believe that fear can be quelched and anxiety can be, can be resolved. I can't believe all that. He's just delighting in the rule of life according to the central message of the scripture, which is what? The gospel. That Jesus dies for sin as our substitute and rises and gives us his spirit. He's marveling at this. That's this person who's happy. He's constantly coming back to this rule of life through the gospel lens that God is good, that God is saving, that God is merciful despite us, and that he scandalously rode our backs and came down upon us and grabbed us by his grace. Even we did not want him, we're not looking for him and wanted no part or thought of him. He says, I'm going to have you. And he goes, this person is just delighting in this. He's meditating on this. He's musing over this, to use the Hebrew word. Now, now, this is so important because this is why for some of you, you've attended church for seasons and years and seen little to no transformation in your life. Because you thought that Christianity was just about doing moral rights and merits and participating in religious activity. And you did not know that it was about seeing a God and knowing a creator and worshiping him. Um, I say all the time, right, it's about us Growing in the knowledge of God that leads to our good deeds and our good works. It's not you just start being a nice person, a moral person that grows love for God. That's crazy. That never works. It's backwards. As God reveals himself, as you delight in how he has said and designed and wired things to be, your heart wells up with worship that leads to a life of good works. In fact, he says here, you love it so much that you do it night and day. You're just, you're just meditating on these truths night and day, he says. It means you speak to yourself about it over and over and over. See, for so many people, right, um, this is the only time you're being reminded and stirred up by the truths of God. And here's what's nuts, whether we want to admit it or not. You think 40 minutes in this room is somehow going to catapult you to next Sunday. Like, you really think that, man, okay, I got that moral, so I'm going to rely on other people's faith. I'm going to actually live vicariously through someone else's walk with Jesus, not my own walk with Jesus, through a pastor or a preacher, maybe another saint in the congregation or another friend. I'm going to live through their walk. It's not going to be my walk, and I'm going to think that somehow is going to keep me in the happy state I need to be in, content, satisfied, not wandering to lesser things till next Sunday. Now, here's the truth, right? The moment you walk out of here, and even it being Father's Day, we know, right, we expect that that happy dinner, nice family time. Most of us, our barbecue is going to light on fire. Grill's going to go down in flames. Kids are going to hate each other, right? In-laws are going to just come over unannounced, right? That's how Father's Day is really going to go. We like to say it's going to be awesome, okay? So we know heading out of this room, man, day's going to be a potential train wreck, right? To walk away from the things that we're glad in. And then, then what's going to happen tomorrow as you, as you hit work or you hit your race, just everything's going to be noise and just chaos. And man, this is a day to day. So, so here's what happens. We think 40 minutes gets us. You get through the end of your week. You're just nothing but a shell of who you are. You walk in here on Sunday and go, man, I just need another fix again. Instead of this perpetual, progressive, man, I'm meditating on the law of God, man, I'm being nourished by these scriptures and reminding myself of who God has me, God's for me, God's in control of this situation, 
when you're tempted to sin, no, God's just, no, holiness is serious. I mean, you're, you're walking in these realities in a way that's bearing weight on you daily. It's not this, man, I, oh, great, Pastor Mike filled up my fuel tank. This is the Shell station, right? Church of Bergen, man, my car's all ready to go. Man, you're out of gas by 5 o'clock tonight. And you need another gas station. And cab ain't open till Sunday, even though some of you think it's open every day and every minute of the week. Right? No. But not, no. But that's what we see here. That's what we're seeing, this amazing, this is the person who's rooted, nourished. And this is why I love when I get those emails from you guys. That say, man, I read this text today, and it nourished me, and it rooted me, and it preserved me, and it gave me life today, and it's Tuesday. It's not Sunday evening. It's not Sunday morning. I mean, this was preserving me. This is my happiness today, my contentment today, my rootedness today. Now, this is why, and this is, this is another thing that's very important. This is why happiness is never to be found directly. It's always a byproduct of seeking something else. The problem is most of us seek happiness for happiness sake. Um, that'll always ruin you. If you make happiness in your marriage your number one priority, man, you'll be filled with anxiety and fear the rest of your life. You seek something else, right? Every time you see blessed, he doesn't say, blessed is the man who seeks after blessedness. Right? It doesn't say happy is the person who seeks after happiness. He goes, happy is the person, content is the person, satisfied is the person who seeks after God, who seeks after his rule of life, who seeks after how he designed the world to work and marriage to operate and how to parent our children and how to work in our job and how to live for the glory of God. Happy is that person who pursues him. See, Jesus says, I think in Matthew, where he says, hey, um, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else will be added to you. Right? Um, listen, if you seek happiness over the kingdom of God, you won't have either. If you seek the kingdom of God over happiness, you'll get both. Because happiness is a byproduct. Aim for heaven, you get earth thrown in. Right? I mean, it's this, it's this way where um, Jesus always says, don't pursue happiness. Happiness will betray you. I mean, seek me and then you'll find happiness then happiness will come. See, happiness is not something that's found directly. Jesus will consistently say that happiness alone will betray you. It's a seeking after God and his kingdom. Because here's the great irony. The less you're concerned with your happiness and the more you are concerned with him, the happier you become. Some of you, the reason you're so unhappy is because you're chasing happy. And you need to be chasing him. In the face of Jesus Christ and, and how he's revealed himself. He goes on to say, so if you're this person who's meditating on the work of Christ and the character of God and all that you are as his children, and if you're the one who's being informed and reminded by and nourished by and strengthened by the rule of God of life. He says, this is the person you become, verse 3. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Try to picture that in your mind. Picture that in your mind. A tree, not one of those silly, frail trees. Man, that winter storm came this, this past winter, and all of our, like, I guess they're evergreens that are lining the back of our yard, they're all like this now. It's awful. And I walked out after the winter. I was like, babe, I can see the neighbor's house. Never been able to see them before. 
Why? Because all our trees just bent over. So, so picture this tree that, that, that is just firm and rooted and nourished. It's by this stream that's constantly flowing. Just picture that. I mean, roots are growing down no matter what storm comes, no matter what difficulty uh, comes upon itself. The, the leaves are never, never withering. And in season, in its seasons, it's bearing lots of fruit. It's this healthy tree, this strong tree. He says, man, that's the picture of the person being nourished by God, being walking with God, tasting God, not just 40 minutes on Sunday, but every minute of his week, right? Writing with others, being encouraged, being discipled in community, in growth groups, in participation, right? Among the people of God. This is, this is them. This is what they're like. I mean, they're strong, rooted, healthy, constantly being nourished people. See, it's the opposite picture of the person who comes in here for 40 minutes saying, oh, cool, man, this is good. Thanks for the shot in the arm. I came to the dentist, and now I'm good for like another six months. This is not that person. It's a contrast to that person because otherwise, here's what I'm doing. Man, you guys are coming here, and I'm just throwing water. I'm like, man, get some fertilizer out, right? Like, let's, let's just try to keep them good for the next week. It's not at all what it is. It's a stirring, it's a taste, it's a heralding so the word might grow in us and we might walk in that word and walk in that truth and continually advance in progressively our holiness together as brothers and sisters so that we might see us next week as even just a shade more like him. Even if it's just a shade more like him. You can't be watered for 40 minutes and expect to survive. That's what he's saying. You want to be a strong tree? You want to be rooted when temptation comes? You want to be ferocious in your holy life? Don't be watered for 40 minutes. Listen, I, I mean, look, look at me. Converse shoes, jeans, and a t-shirt. I mean, no man can water you the way Jesus waters you. No pastor I mean, some of you guys, just this constant podcasting, that's great. Great gift, man. Don't rely on them for your spiritual nourishment. Don't rely on them to be your God. Don't rely on them to be your watering. You get your face in the book. You talk to other saints and fellow Christians. You might, you might see their study of the Bible and say, how do you do that? How, does it, how do you stay consistent? What encourages you? What, that's beautiful. Ask. Walk with. That's why community is so important. And this is why we're seeing happiness is not based on externals. Happiness is based on internals. It's where your roots are. It's what you're rooted in. See, the difference of the man or woman weathering a tough storm is not the severity of the storm or type of storm. It's where the roots are. A tree with roots is anchored. Now, this attacks one of the many cultural myths um, head on. Culture believes that happiness comes from total freedom. Total freedom. If I want to be happy, if I want to be satisfied, that comes from total freedom. That means you answer to no one. You're free to make your own rules. You define your own meaning. And you live in a room with no roof. C.S. Lewis talks about this. I love it. He says, yeah, that's uh, the example of that is like a fish that decides he wants to be free from escaping the confines of water. So he finally, finally finds a way to push himself out of the ocean, lands on dry land, and what happens? He starts flopping like crazy. Yes, he's free out of the confines of the water, but is he happy? No. Fish was made for water. You and I were made for God. We're made to be happy in God. We're made to be satisfied in Jesus Christ. We're made to be reconciled to God through the work of his son. We were made in the garden without sin, 
right? And we all got booted out, right? We're all trying to get back in there. The problem is we don't use Jesus Christ as our way back in. We use everything else. Fame, success, prestige, sex, relationships, greed, approval, appearance, doesn't matter. We use everything else but Jesus Christ to get back into paradise, which he created for us, which he will remake for us in the new Jerusalem and new heavens and new earth. But all of us, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you're trying to get back to that place. That's why you're trying to do all the things that you're doing in your life. You may say, well, happiness doesn't really matter. Well, then why are you trying to do the things that you're doing to be happy? Why are you fighting for that career advancement like you are? Why are you fighting for the resolution in that particular thing? Why are you holding onto the anger and bitterness and resentment towards that particular person? Because you want to be free in some way. You want to be happy in some way. You want to be at ease in some way. You want to feel righted in some way. You want to feel like justice has come in some way. He's showing us that only happens through Jesus Christ. This is why the Bible consistently tells us, friends, that a Christian is not just a religious person. A Christian is not just a nice person. A Christian is not just a moral person. A Christian is someone who's rooted in something beside him or herself. That's why it's amazing, right? Peter, Apostle Peter writes, and I think it's 1 Peter or 2 Peter, you've become partakers of the divine nature. You've been planted into something. You've been planted into God through Jesus Christ. That's insane. Your roots are now going somewhere they didn't go before. You have perspective you didn't have before. You have awareness you didn't have before. You have sight you didn't have before. You have hearing you didn't have before. You're, you're rooted somewhere. Think about this. A tree has to be planted. It doesn't plant on its own, does it? God picks you up and he plants you into Jesus Plants you into Christ, you now see things differently, storms come, temptations come, you begin tasting him more as you grow as a Christian, learning his ways, meditating on his law, and as that whole progressive thing happens, your roots grow deeper, the stream never leaves you, and you're sucking from the same nourishment from the day you're born again until you reach glory. That's the picture here. That's the Christian life. It doesn't mean there's no war, doesn't mean there's no bleeding, doesn't mean there's no tears. But the place you're deriving your satisfaction, the place you're deriving your nourishment is God, is his truth, is what he's said. Amazing. Do you, do you know how to rehearse the beauties of the gospel to yourself? It's what this is. Do you know how to meditate on it? Do you know how to rehearse it to yourself and tell yourself, whether it's through listening to to doctrinally sound songs that inform that while you're driving to work whether it's just praying on those moments that you're that you have free you know kind of time and space is it you know putting a a, a verse on a note card in the front dash of your car where you can just see it and look at it that week a verse that encouraged you or sparked life into you is it i don't know um, that's what he's showing us here and then he contrasts this with verse four the wicked are not so they are like chaff that the wind drives away. He says the wicked, those who give no thought to God, they're anchored in something. Their roots are in something that is not him. It's not sure. It's not steady. It's not safe. He says, and he gives this imagery. It's amazing. He says they're like chaff. Now, chaff is when you press wheat. I know we've all done this, so you all know exactly what I'm talking about, right? When you, when you press wheat down, if you're familiar, the, the kernels fall to the ground and the, the flakes just kind of blow away. 
And I was thinking about like, like peanuts, you know, like you open up the shell of like peanuts, you know, you go to those like uh, restaurants, give you peanuts, you can throw the shell on the floor. You know the little brown part on top of it? Do you know what I'm talking about? Just say yes or no. Okay, good. I want to make sure you're tracking because I don't know if that's like a Virginia thing or whatever. So uh, the, the little brown part on the outside, you know, you take off the outside, you just, you just, just the, the tiniest wind just blows it away. He, he's showing us something here. He's showing this profound imagery here, right? That, that man, you're left with this empty little shell, worthless, just, just the slightest temptation, slightest suffering, just blows it away. See, that's the comparison here. The comparison here is you've got this one tree planted, rooted, strong, healthy, leaf isn't withering. Man, in seasons there's fruit, not all the time, but in its season it's bearing fruit, right? Because of where it's being nourished. It doesn't matter if it's wintertime or summertime or springtime or fall time. Man, he's being nourished by the river of life, the river of God, the river of Jesus Christ, the river of the scriptures. That's where his lifeline is here. And then he goes on the other side, you've got, man, this this little tiny piece of chaff where the slightest little breeze just throws you off course. Smallest temptation. Oh, someone comes up with this cool little philosophy about God. Oh, yeah, 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 that's probably right. Or are you rude? Like, which are you? So in that comparison, I mean, think about this. In those two pictures, who are you? Because that reveals a lot about where your roots are, about what you believe, about your happiness, about your state. He goes, man, which one of these two are you? With that person, man, when temptation comes and you're enticed by some silly, just, just subtle pleasure that does not even compare to the pleasure that you have in God. You've been reminded of this. You've been growing in this. You go, man, I can say no to that through the power of the gospel. I can push headlong into Jesus Christ and put that sin to death. It has no authority over me, no, no hold on me. Is that you? Or the person who comes, hey, I found out this new doctrine. I just watched YouTube last night, man. Yeah, I just realized that God isn't really God. And the Bible's contradictory. And or are you so rooted where you're you're growing? No, I know the I know the truth here, man. I've been asking God to grow me in this. You're not going to throw me back and forth with some other silly doctrine of teaching. Or are you like the chaff, man? The second temptation hits you, boom. You just walk away from the Lord. Oh, that looks good. Oh, that looks good. Oh, that looks better. Or you the second someone comes up to you with some philosophy, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah, God probably is not trinitarian yeah he probably isn't really good you're right probably there there probably is no punishment for sin yeah there probably is no judgment yeah there probably like which one are you he's showing us here he's these moments these what are you what are you drilling into your soul because there's only two ways to live there's one meditatively day and night and there's one where it's 40 minutes and the rest of your week you're wondering why you're tossed back and forth you're wondering why you see so much discontentment. You're wondering why there's so much dissatisfaction. You're wondering why there's so much unhappiness and lack of deep-rooted God-sustaining joy. He's giving us the answer. And then he ends with this to kind of tie it all together. Verse 5, therefore, those who give no thought to God and live with no thought to God will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So he says, those who give no thought to God, they don't live under God, with God, they live apart from God, they will finally and fully live apart from God. They will be judged. Um, and, and these are the scoffers, right? Let me just say something here. The, these scoffers, I mean, they genuinely believe what they say. Like, I mean, a lot of the people, they, they come up to you, whether it's a work or neighborhood or I don't know where. Like, they genuinely believe these things. I mean, 
Sometimes they're just trying to get a rise out of you, but, but other times they're just genuinely believe these things. So the, the, they might say things to you, right? They'll, they'll scoff. They'll, they'll believe they're standing in their philosophy with you. So, so they'll say things to you like, I don't know. I mean, if God's loving, I mean, he can't judge. And, I mean, if, if, if he allowed evil, there must be some good and evil, right? Because he allowed it to be in this creation. And you're like, oh, yeah, hmm. That sounds, that sounds yeah, yeah, that, that might be true. Or, yeah, I mean, if God wants me happy, I mean, he can't put these commands on me because he made me this way. And if he made me this way, then he can't want me to go a different direction. So he can't possibly give me commands that push me a different direction. So he can't possibly be loving because he wants me ultimately to be happy. And that will not ultimately make me happy. And you go, yeah, huh, maybe that's, yeah. And see, here's the thing. Um, they may scoff. They may stand with you, but they will not stand with God. They will not stand at judgment. Everyone... This is what is just so mind-boggling to me. So many people, we don't think about this enough at all. <laughs> so many of us believe, man, I'm going to have a few words for him on that day. Yeah, we're going to chat. Man, that's like you walking up to a nuclear bomb going, man, yeah, I got this figured out. No, you're going to be blown to pieces. Like, you don't have this thing figured out. Yeah, I can stand up against that. Yeah, I, can. I think I know how this thing works. Man, listen, this is God we're talking about. Like, you, you, there will be no scoffing. There will be no manipulating. There will be no wonderings. There will be no scrutinizing. Man, he drops the gavel. He says the way. He says, I pleaded. I sent people. I sat you under teaching. I gave you the truth. You decided to walk away from me, not walk into me, not enjoy me, not have me, not be satisfied in me. I mean, there will not be any scoffing on that day. People may stand with you in their philosophy and their empty deceit. They will not stand with him. That's what he's saying. There will be no place to stand. And the only place to stand on that day is the ground of Jesus Christ. I love that song. There's, there's no sinking sand with him. Man, that's a firm foundation. He's in your place as your champion, as your substitute, took the wrath of God for you, took your sin for you, gifted you his righteousness. Man, you're going to be able to stand on that day. And even those who scoffed will stand in that truth. Maybe not salvifically, but they will stand in admitting that. Philippians 2, every knee's going to bow. Hitler's are going to bow. Bin Laden's are going to bow. Right next to Mike Reed and everybody else. Because that's who he is. Like, is that, is that where our hearts are? Are they settled there? Do we believe these truths? And you know what I love? I just love that he says there, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. We don't have time for that, but man, he knows that. that that's, that's intimacy, that's nearness, that's comforting. And when you see that the congregation of the righteous, that, that's future glory, that's heaven, that, that, that people who live with no thought from God will not be there. But you know what's awesome about that day? There will be no toiling. You ever thought about that? Like you'll be delighting in him without having to try and put your sin to death through the power of the Spirit. Like, you're not going to have to have this struggle of, man, every week trying to meditate on God's law. You're going to be with the Word made flesh in His fullness, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you're not going to need to read the Word. You're going to look at the Word. <laughs> it's amazing. Psalm is revealing this to us. He's revealing that biblical happiness is derived from an unwavering commitment to who God is as revealed in His Word. Now, some of you, maybe that, that skimmed past you, but here's why this is so important. Here's why this is so important. Um, God is going to disagree with you often, and he's always right. Like, like I mean, this is insane to me. People say, did you know that? that? That, listen, the moment you start reading this, you know he's gonna disagree with you? 
I mean, think about this. You've got Alpha and Omega versus you. Who's your money on? Who's your money on? One who always has been, always will be. He made you, gave you your eyes, ears, nose, mouth, gave you lungs, gave you the capacity to think, the ability to hear, the ability to see, the ability to, to converse, the ability to enjoy his planet. Okay, Alpha and Omega versus you. Who's your money on? Because here's what's insane to us, right? We, we grew up with this just bizarre, bizarre, bizarre thing where we think, man, everyone takes their, their culture and their ammo and their grenades and we throw it at the word of God and we say, oh, well, well, he's not as enlightened as we are because we're in 2018. Okay, even though he's transcendent, even though he's outside of time, even though he invented time, right? We think God's not as enlightened as we are. So, man, if he was in 2018, he wouldn't have written that about sexuality. He wouldn't have written that about idolatry. He wouldn't have written that about marriage. He wouldn't have written that about, you know, this, 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 this sin, this sin, this sin, this thing, this command, this law. Man, if he was as enlightened as we were, he would have a clue what's going on. How blasphemous. How silly are we? Because here's the thing. Here, here's the reality about all these things is Without a willingness for you and I to be marginalized because of what the word of God says, there will be no true joy in our hearts. There will be no enduring happiness. There will be no true transformation of any souls. You understand that? Like unless you are rooted in what God says and how God has revealed himself in the word of God, there will be none of that. Here's why. The perpetual drift of every bit of our souls and hearts is there's no mess. Everything's fine, man. I've got it figured out. I'm enlightened. I'm, I'm outside of God. I've, I've intuitively know through human reason and empirical data that this is how things should work. And he's revealing to us, the psalmist is revealing to us here that, man, the majority of the desires that creep up in our souls better be informed by this, better be informed by him. Or listen, we are train wrecks headed for disaster. He's going to say later, there's a way that seems right in the heart of man that ultimately leads to death. So we better be informed by what's true. So we better be conformed by God's word. The psalmist is saying the only place I can go for true unwavering happiness is him. How he has revealed himself in his word. It's not our word. It's his. Let me end with just four helpful practicals. Jesus said this in Matthew 4. You're familiar. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Um, Life and happiness is from God's word. Now, some of us are like, well, I don't really know how to do that joyfully, faithfully, helpfully. Let's give you four things. Um, number one, place yourself under the authority of Scripture, not over it. Some of you are like, no, 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 I got that. No, no, no. Th this gets down to, listen, this is how you know. When you're reading your Bible, either you're interpreting it or you're letting it interpret you. So if you're sitting under the authority of Scripture, you're letting it interpret you. If you sit over scripture, you're interpreting it and you're telling it what you want it to say. Hebrews 4 is going to give us help that it's a, it divides the issues of the heart. In your Bible study, place yourself under it. Ask God for mercy. Confess your cold heart to God. Number two, approach your Bible to know God, not use God. This is huge in your study of the Bible. Huge. We don't seek happiness, friends. We seek him. And praise God, when you seek him, you get happiness. And happiness follows. Ask yourself, what does this teach me about God? Listen, some of us are so programmed to say, what is it telling me? What does it say about me? How is it helping me in this situation? I'm not saying the Bible doesn't. It absolutely helps you in every situation. 
but it primarily was not given to us so we would know what to do in every situation. It was given to you so you might know God and behold God and see God and understand God first and his ways and his works and his majesty. So just ask yourself, what does this teach me about his character, about his nature? I ask that every single sermon I write, I ask that same question. What does this tell me about him? That's important because the Bible's for transformation, right? Not just mental information. In John 5, uh, you got those religious people that come to Jesus and like, they're just boasting in their mental information. They know all the scriptures. And Jesus is going, man, you think that in the scriptures you have life, but you're missing the whole point. Who they point to is where life is found. Me, and I'm standing in front of you. Number three, devote yourself to the people of God, not just the word of God. Charles Spurgeon said this, the half-committed Christian is the most miserable person on the planet. He's just enough in the world to be miserable in the presence of God. And he's just enough into God to be miserable in the world. I just love Spurgeon. That's his point. Like, you need the people of God. Man, when I'm around brothers and sisters, man, that love Jesus, love his word, man, that, that invigorates my soul. It fans into flame the truths that I'm being taught. Colossians 3 talks about we, we speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We need the family of faith. There's active participation in the life of his church. It's good for our souls. Number four, it's about life transformation more than mental information. Listen, I've said this a lot. I'm going to keep saying it. Many of what we need is not what we need. We don't, we don't need more information. You need more of what you already know. You need to be reminded more than instructed. Your growing in Christ is inextricably connected to you practicing and walking in the things you already know. James 1 says, don't be deceived. Hear the word and do the word. To be deceived means to discard, to put away. Let's ask God that we would be these types of people by his grace. Father, you've said a lot to us this morning. It's a lot to take in, a lot to examine. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit of God that right now can take everything that's been said and place it in the appropriate place. So God, would you help where people need help, would you heal where there needs to be healing? Would you comfort where there needs to be comfort? Would you convict and exhort where there needs to be conviction and exhortation? Reveal to us where we might be sitting that is not the lap of God in Jesus Christ. Reveal where our fundamental allegiances might be that are not you. And God, in turn, right now, would you help us to repent of those areas and anchor ourselves in you and how you've revealed yourself? In your word, might we be trees planted by that nourishing stream of water. God, might you give us discipline. Might you give us joy. Might you give us happiness. Might you give us contentment. Not in seeking those things into themselves. God, but as a byproduct, God, of seeking you and knowing you and having you. Father, protect us from the noise. Protect us from the distraction. Help us to continue to grow up in the holy faith. Help us to remember that we're partakers of a divine nature now, that you have literally picked us up and planted us into God. Thank you that our roots can go strong. Encourage those who feel discouraged or weak or exhausted. Encourage them that God, you, through the empowerment of your spirit, have put this in them. That this is not only achievable, but fully and fundamentally possible. Because of you being at work in us. And God, as we observe the supper and enjoy the Lord's Supper, thank you for letting us be reminded of this word of God that was made flesh. 
that one day we will stand with and see and enjoy. But thank you for your word that is your broken body, that through your shed blood and through your broken body, God, we can know happiness and know joy and know life and know the ways that you have created us to be. Thank you for delivering us from the futility of life without you and help us today and where we need it. In Jesus' name, amen.